Welcome to episode 13 of Conversation Pace. My name is Brian Rossetti, I'm the founder of V.02. In this episode, I spoke with Matt DeBole. Matt is a runner, coach, doctor of physical therapy, and founder at Run Better Academy. He was a standout high school runner, most notably finishing fifth at Foot Locker Championships and winning the most prestigious high school miles at Penn Relays and Milrose. He went on to become a five-time All-American at Georgetown University, qualify for the 2008 Olympic trials. We discussed growing up in Winston-Salem, his training environment in high school, and how he transitioned to college and beyond. Today, he works both as a physical therapist and online running coach. We talk a little bit about why he prefers drone technology to do running biomechanical assessment. His athlete's story and experience as a physical therapist offers clients a unique approach. It's no wonder he's one of the most popular and well-reviewed coaches on the VDOT marketplace today. Hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, Matt, welcome to the show. Yeah, Brian, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. How are you doing in, the, in this current situation? How's family, um, how's everything going? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking. You know, things things are wild, right? Life is crazy. <laughs> like, you know, here here we are, 2020. I thought I thought our life would be a little different than it is. Um, now, I gotta, I gotta admit, to be honest, I I feel super fortunate. We probably have lucked out. We're on the positive side of the equation. Um, yeah, I'm I'm here positioned in Albany, New York, and my wife and I, we bought a house in January. We had plans to renovate. Luckily, everything was on schedule. We moved our kids on over. Uh, I got two little kids. We're expecting a third in uh, T minus like two weeks. So we're all in the house. (laughs) Like, uh, and, 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 you know, um, maybe cherry on top or whatever. Everyone's healthy. Um, You know, I've got, uh, I've, still have a job like i don't know it, it, it's just a, the basic things that you're so thankful for is like you know the health a house a job just you know so we're doing we're doing just fine we're doing just that, fine i hope so you're you, doing okay too i know it's crazy the city is, is especially has been yeah I'm, I'm um in scranton pennsylvania of all places so i'm i'm uh, out of the city we got out of there in march and i've just been kind of Summering in Scranton, man, can't beat it. It's the best. <laughs> so, so I was in New York. You were in you were in Palo Alto. Now you're Albany, and I'm in Scranton. Like, I think we're winning. We are winning. That's right. <laughs> Life comes at you fast. <laughs> it does. Um, so you're in a new house. How's it going? Moving is terrible. Yeah, not the not the best. Luckily, we had a few months to you know bring our stuff on over, unpack slowly. Um, so that it wasn't as traumatic as, as it usually is when you're moving. Um, so we're, we're settling in pretty well. I know we're, okay. our life's going to take another turn as we add a third kid to the equation, but <laughs> so far so good. Right. Right. Then you're back to like your zone, back to zone defense, man. Dude. Oh, oh no. I, I know. I, we might, we might, uh, we might either need to, um, to hire, hire a nanny, you know, full time or, or yeah. Go go crazy! I'm not sure. We'll we'll see what happens. So I want to talk a little bit. We'll get into your situation now and how you're handling your physical therapy clients um, during this time. And um, but I want to start sort of from the beginning with you and sort of build up to how you got into coaching and 
you know, you've been one of the most successful, most popular coaches on the platform. So we'll, we'll talk about that too. Um, but let's go back to Winston Salem, if that's okay. That's right. Yeah. right? Where, where you grew up. I don't think I've ever met anyone from Winston Salem. That's right. The dash, dash. Uh, Winston dash Salem. Um, that's right. It grew up there in middle school and high school. So formidable years for sure. So I have a funny story. My one experience in Winston Salem, cause I used to train in Boone with, with Zap fitness group. That's right. Um, and there was a huge snowstorm that was like, coming down on Boone. So we panicked because we had to do a big workout and we drove down off the mountain to go to Salem Lake, oh, and, yeah. which is pretty cool, right? I mean, it's what, how many miles is it around that lake? It's, pretty uh, it's I think it's just shy of seven, you know, it's like okay. six, six point nine six, right? Just shy of seven. Yeah. So I remember scrambling because like it started snowing and we're like, oh, we got to get off the mountain like this. This is going to be bad because the weather looked great in in Winston-Salem. And we finally got off the mountain. I don't know. Maybe it's an hour drive or so. I forget. Um, And then I get out of the car and realize like I I didn't bring running shoes <laughs> and just sat there for hours waiting for everyone to run. And that was my first experience. Like is brutal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you might've been doing the right thing. Like Winston Salem, we just don't use shoes down here. You know? uh, yeah. Uh, man, I, I wish you could, could have had the chance to run around the lake. Cause uh, that's a beautiful spot to run, uh, mile markers, just really great workouts, you know, memories from that, that spot, um, that Salem Lake special for sure. Yeah, I did. I did actually get to run there once or twice afterwards. Um, we did some long runs down there to get away from the, the weather, the bad weather on the mountain. So uh, it sounds like you've, you spent a lot of time on that lake or, or not so much. Yeah, no, we would do high school workouts, you know, typical hard, long tempos or even mile repeats. We'd, we'd bus everybody out there, um, weekend long runs. You know, I, I remember doing the, the fart licks and, um, you know, all styles of workout just around that lake. And, you know, it was at first you try to survive, you know, being, uh, being a freshman yeah. as part of a high school team. And then, um, and then I guess by the end, you're kind of administering pain and, you know, how far you're... was the lake from home? So it wasn't that close to where uh, you... it wasn't bad. I mean, call it 15 minutes. Oh, okay. That's, it wasn't, it wasn't bad at all, but we'd still have to get everybody over there. And, you know, the, the seniors would be picking up the freshmen and, you know, <laughs> organizing practice on the weekends and yeah. What's yeah. the, what's the running scene like, or what was it like in Winston-Salem and how did you originally get into running? Yeah, um, you know, interestingly, I, I mean, maybe, maybe this is the story of a lot of people. I, I imagine it is. But I was a soccer player growing up um, mm. middle school. I loved, loved, you know, playing center, center mid. So I'd be the guy running around quite a bit. Um, and, and, you know, entering into high school in 1999, I was trying out for the soccer team uh, that that summer, you know, before school started. And me and my my soccer teammates, you know, we thought we were hot stuff, and 
we're going to make the team and maybe make varsity. And, you know, we're, we're, we're trying out together. And I was part of a travel team that was, you know, there was a premier level in the state at the, you know, for middle schoolers, but um, you know, we were playing at the top level that we could. So I thought, yeah, we, we can make this team. Our high school team was really good. We, we had won state championships. And mm. uh, so it was tough to, to make the team, but we thought, yeah, you know, we could first rounds of, of cuts come and, <laughs> And my name's not my, my name's not called to like be invited back for tomorrow's you know tryouts. And I'm sitting around with these kids who, you know, in my mind, I'm like, man, you know, this is this is kind of the group who forgot to bring their shoes, like you. You know, <laughs> this is the these are the guys who really shouldn't have have been here in the first place. And and I'm like devastated. I remember um, getting in the car. You know, we, we couldn't drive. My mom picked me up with my other soccer friends that day. And she's like, Oh, Hey honey, how did soccer tryouts go? Uh, and, I, and I know I'm like, kind of like, I didn't make it. And she's laughing. She's like, Oh, that's, you know, no, but really how, did, you know, how did it go? And my, my friend Brad in the back is like, no, Mrs. DeBull, he really didn't make it. And oh. she like turned the car around oh, wow. and went back to the parking lot, back to the soccer field to find the coach. And, you know, this is like the most embarrassing thing that a mom could do to a, you know, a, a, I, I'm almost going to be a freshman in high school. This is like the first impression I can make on like high school is my mom coming back. Oh. Give it to the coach. Great. And she wasn't even that type of mom. I mean, this is like out of care. This is crazy. I'm like, you know, wow. she's doing so it. It was, un, it was uncharacteristic. Like she, oh, no. like, this is a new side of your mom. New side of my mom. She was really upset. I was like, oh my gosh, mom, are you kidding me? And I was, I was devastated. But, you know, um, my, during the second rounds of cuts, one of my other friends didn't make it either. And then, um, so we both were like, you know, what are we going to do for this fall season? Um, let's join the cross country team. And I like my, my buddy and I like, thank goodness he got cut along with me because I just felt like, okay, I'm not the only one. Oh, so you were in the car. You were both cut. Uh, this is, I may be, uh, I'm, I'm scooting ahead in the story, but oh, gotcha. you know, second round, like, yeah, some people made it, had a buddy who made the varsity team, a bunch of buddies who made JV. And then there's me and this other guy who just didn't make it at all. So we're like, well, let's go out for the cross country team. Let's stay in shape. Let's come back stronger next year. You know, all that stuff. Um, and, uh, and so we, we hopped on the, on the cross country team together. Um, looking to just stay in shape. And then we would play mm. soccer in the spring season for our club team. So, um, you know, I was able to join them again, still freshman year, but on the club team, not the high school team um, for our other season. But yeah, yeah, I, I joined, I joined running to stay in shape. That was, that was it. It was purely so like cross country running. It wasn't really on your radar other than you got caught what am I going to do to stay in shape? Pretty much. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm pretty fast. Or you knew at that point you were fast. Yeah. Like, I, this would be a good one for me. It was that, really just, mm -hmm. that's a good question. I mean, in, in middle school, I'd set the County record for the mile, you know? Um, oh, you did. Okay. So you already uh, knew. I knew I was quick and I, I beat people in the running, you know, component of tryouts. So even when we joined the team, you know, prior to even meeting the cross country coaches, I think 
I was suspicious and, and maybe parents and whatnot were suspicious. Maybe the cross country coach had something to do with me getting cut, you know, like what type of guy is this, you know, maybe he really needed me on the team or something. Yeah, I thought that I would make a better runner than a soccer player and just put that bug in the soccer coach's ear. Now it, that ended up not being true. I mean, yeah. Coach, coach Esposito would have never done that. He's, he, he's definitely not that type of guy, but yeah, I think I knew I was, I was quick, um, but it wasn't something that I was really, I, I wasn't going to go into high school being, being a high school runner. I was going to try to be a soccer player. And what was the program like at, in high school, the cross country and track team, the distance coach, what? We, we were competitive. Um, yeah. We were really good. I had some, I mean, my freshman year, I had some outstanding senior leadership. I, mm. I mean, really top level guys who were competitive in the state. Um, they took it seriously. They trained hard. They were really good role models. Um, we had a lot of fun, obviously. I mean, it was a super social group. Yeah. I mean, it was easy to like it. Um, and, uh, and our coach was stellar. I mean, just, just a total, just a total, um, you know, like high school coach, right. He's married to the sport and he, he nerded out with his, his own running crew, right. Who would always kind of like be lingering around practice, you know, his buddies who have run, 14 minutes in the 5k and you know they have all their stories about pen relays and so you know it like romanticize a whole running culture and experience and wow you know i mean we just were exposed to a bunch of stuff that i mean we had um we had some former footlocker at the time it was called kinney um yeah, of course. nationals like so we had these two brothers um the armatrouts who who they made it back in like 1989 1990 so they'd come around to like talk to the team and i mean it was just like we had a winning culture but it was fun um it was developmental uh so i don't know it was actually easy to get into it and yeah that i mean i then i started to have some success which then made that even more fun you know that's Um, great you hear so many stories of like the football coach you know was the the track coach or it was a teacher, you know, who, who his intentions were good, but he really didn't know what, what they were doing, you know? So that's right. great to hear. I mean, it's, and then also that you had that influence with the older guys that was, that had an impact on me too, just having an older sibling. Right. Kind of paved the way for me and had what some of his friends and they went to, went on to run division one. And so they really gave me a good picture of what it looked like to be a runner, you know, what it meant, how you had to train. And so many athletes these days just don't have it, you know? Yeah. Oh, that I, I mean, you go out, you try your hardest, you know, like you give it a hundred percent. And I, I think, so the very first meet that we had was called the city County meet. And, you know, we're up against our, our County rivals. Um, and, and the Mount Tabor Spartans, the, the team I was on, you know, we had a great day. We swept the meet. It was, um, you know, we finished first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. Like that's the best you can do in cross country. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that, that day I was the fifth runner, you know, um, on the team. And it was like the first time in 
call it 10 years, like since, since the other kind of state championship winning team uh, had swept city County. So like, then it set expectations for, man, maybe we could win States this year and we are a good team. And um, so we had like that kind of just, you go out, you give it your, your hundred percent effort every time. And like, I think that just set the stage on, wow, you, you earn the results, you know? I mean, you train hard, like you give it your best effort in the race and you earn your results. Like you get what you deserve. And and we just, we wanted to, to be top team in, in the state and we're going to go out and, and, and do that every time. I mean, I think that was, that was just the, that was the mentality from the beginning that, you know, I had just stepped right into, which was fun. And so your high school resume is impressive, obviously did it, did you just consistently keep getting better or was there like a huge breakthrough year, your junior season or how did it progress? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I, maybe to put it into perspective, like cross country, um, I, I, I ended up being fourth in the state meet that year. Um, what which year was this? 1999. I was uh, fourth at, at our state meet. I ran 1549. Um, what year were you though, the, Matt? Which year in high school? Oh, I was a freshman. So my freshman year, I was fourth. Oh, wow. So, you know, from that perspective, I think I had I had already I had already had some success early on from from a cross country standpoint, um, and, and you know the progression from there was pretty steady. I think through sophomore year, I was second, um, and then and then junior and senior year, I won the meet. Um, yeah. And, so, so cross country was pretty steady. And in terms of like track, I mean, I think just your normal progression, you know, running yep. um, the mile and the two mile and just kind of getting better at those events, just steady progression. Um, so the know, training, the training was good. It just sounds like it was just like physical maturity, maybe just more experience. You just kept steadily yep improving at a more of a normal rate, but at a high level. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What were workouts? What did they look like under this coach and how many miles a week? Yeah, that's always the the fun question (laughs) to ask and hard one to answer. Like it's, uh, you know, I think steadily in, in terms of progressing mileage as well, I think coming in as a freshman, it was no more than like say 35 miles a week, right? Like 40 miles a week, maybe. In the summer, I remember trying to join the 400 mile club for the summer where we had 10 weeks of of summer training. And, you know, you try to average 40 miles a week. I remember trying to join that club, um, you know, between freshman and sophomore year. Uh, And then similarly, we had like a 500 mile club um, and trying to join that, you know, for for between junior and sophomore, junior, junior, senior years. So you know, I guess that's low mileage these days, but, um, that was kind of our summer training was, you know, somewhere around there, like, you know, progressing up to, I probably hit 70 miles a week, a couple times, but mostly in the sixties, by the time I was in in my senior year, like, you know, it was, it was, it was steady at that. Um, we'd usually train every day. I think I'd rarely have an off day, Oh um, really? No, that was like built in. So I never did real long days. Um, you know, I think in high school I probably ran over ninety minutes just a handful of times. Um, so 
our workouts were, they were variable. I mean, I think we used, we used a lot of nice, you know, race specific, um, uh, workouts. We'd have our, our long tempos. We'd have our mile repeats. I always enjoyed like one K repeats or 800 repeats. Mm -hmm. Coach was always really good about defining, not just like the, the paces or, or, you know, effort levels that you're trying to hit, but also the, the recovery periods and how that had to be monitored well, you know, for the workout to make sense. Um, that's and, awesome. you know, I think I came, I didn't know what I was learning at the time, you know, that's just how a workout was run. So to me, I'm just following instructions. Okay. You tell me to run this, I'm running that, you know, so we would do a lot of that stuff. Um, and you just, you just went, whatever he said, you went with, you were never one to sort of question, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we doing? No, yeah. I, I didn't. I just, and, and you know, he'd always just know the right motivating tools to use too, to say, well, at the time, like, you know, uh, Bobby Mack was like a, a rival in Winston-Salem. So, yeah, so, you know, it, which was hugely helpful for me to have a rival who I could, I could actually encounter at a dual meet or, you know, this inner inner city meet. Um, and so, you know, Coach Espo would say, you know, I don't know, Bobby, Bobby Mack might not stop at this one, you know, it's like, one more. and then same thing, like, you know, as I got older, it was Bobby Curtis, who's over there in, in Kentucky. And it's like, I don't know, Bobby Curtis might be doing <laughs> So just just like the right amount of turn um, uh, of those screws to make you just more competitive. Um, yeah. and I think what, what I love, too, about the program in high school is that the day the day that the race came, I, I didn't even see my coach. Like, I mean, he might have driven us to the meet, but it was all on me to, like, warm up on time, you know, get my yeah. head right. Like, if there's anything you need to say to me come race day, like it's probably too late. You know, we kind of trained to prepare for those days well ahead of time. Um, so I, I had a lot of, it was great. He, uh, he, he gave me a lot of that responsibility, which helped me internalize it and become, you know, my own runner, which, which was great. That's great. I mean, so often now when I'm talking to coaches and, and athletes on this show, like a common theme is just trust. Like, trust with their coach and the relationship they had. And that's cool. He, he trusted you guys. Right. I, I hear that a lot from Jack when I always try and pick his brain about how he managed the teams at Cortland. And it was very hands-off um, mm -hmm. more than I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a good example that you just mentioned. Just like, you know, it's, it's on you guys. I, I prepared you. I trust you, you know, take care of business. That's cool. So, so maybe one thing to hammer home this like high school team, this experience, like, we were good in cross country, but um, we, we had an outstanding track and field team as well. Um, so we, you know, we won indoor and outdoor states a number of times in a row wow. uh, in indoor 2002. I, I wanted to look it up to make sure I got it right, but indoor 2002 um, and we're, we're running against some good high quality competitors we we brought teams to the national meets you know to to compete um but in 2002 we just looking back at the stat sheet um my high school team won the fi the 55 the 55 hurdles the 300 
the 500, the 1K, the mile. We were third in the 3200, um, which is actually my coaching buddy, Colin Cronin. Um, we were second in the four by eight. I mean, we, we dominated. And I think when you're looking and you're seeing your teammates and th- these guys, I mean, the guy who won the 55 and the 200, his name is Jamie Samuels. Um, and he ran like, you know, at 10.17 or something or 10.07 maybe in the 100 meter dash. I mean, he, he ran like a, wow. a, you know. What class are you guys in North Carolina? We were 4A at the time, and then I know Mount Tabor shifted to 3A. But, you know, like we're winning we're yeah. winning meets, but um, like the, the caliber of the competition was really good. Um, so, so we just came from that kind of culture, and I think you just relied on your teammates a lot of the times to, to set the example. And so the coach maybe had a little bit of the ability to take a step back, you know, um, when it comes to, to the race day and – yeah didn't have to pump you up i mean we were our we were all there to win you know like we were all there to do well that's great um so your resume is incredible in high school i mean state records um milrose winner right pen relays winner fifth at footwalkers um what was also that hair man i forgot about your hair in high school <laughs> it's been so long since you i've seen it i, I just saw a picture before we got on um you were on top of the world there in, in winston-salem um the ladies loved it you know <laughs> loved it. what uh, happened you cut it you cut it at georgetown georgetown or georgetown cut it no no so no here let's let's make the record straight so um, honestly, I, I had some shag, shag hair for sure, long hair, and and it was a it was a run with Colin Cronin. I remember it um, from his house, and it was just a hot day. This was junior. I was a junior in high school. It was just a hot oh, okay. day. I'm running with Colin. I'm like, forget this hair. I'm done with it. So we get back to his house and like buzz it immediately. You know, that's what you do in high school when you need a hair. Nice. The next week was pen relays, and uh, and you know I showed up on the start line and like no one recognized me, you know. I mean, <laughs> I kind of blended in, and there, junior year, I win. You know, I mean it was crazy, um, and that was you were superstitious in general, or just after that. No, I have I never. I let my hair grow out after that. I mean, I I never. Okay. No, I don't. I didn't really carry many superstitions or anything like that. Maybe I should have. I could have been. Imagine what I could have been. <laughs> um, in the pen relays race, who were the other the other guys? What year was that again? When you won? Uh, I was, yeah, shoot, that was a uh, so pen re- so high school pen relays was two thousand two because that was okay. my junior year, and um, yeah, like you know, some other guys were in it. Um, uh, I mean, I remember, say, like, Shane Stroop was in there, like, Bobby Curtis, Alex Tatu. Um, I imagine, like, Kip Kano was probably in there. I, yeah, just your, your kind of normal Northeast Corridor uh, yeah. runners, you know, who really valued that that festival, right, the, the Penn Relays Carnival. Um, yeah. Yeah, so then so – then, the following winter was was Milrose, which was uh, in 2003, 
and, and that was fun. I raced against Brian Dalpiaz, like my, my, um, he'd become my teammate at Georgetown. Kit Kano was there again for that. Was that uh, at the garden or at the, at the armory? Was. No, it was at the garden on yeah. 160 meter track. It was, yeah. it was, what was that know, like? Four lanes. You know, what's funny is, um, so in North Carolina, we raced our indoor track meet, our state meet was also um, on on old Milrose boards. So they had bought the track that used to be at Milrose and they would they they set it up. It was 160 um, meters around and it was wood. And I remember in state meets, they'd have to pause the meet because the floorboards <laughs> were coming apart. They had to nail it back together <laughs> and like you know, there's too much of a gap and whatnot. So I actually, I had already run on wood like that. And so it didn't really, I was like, oh, okay. I know what that's like. Um, it wasn't that big of an adjustment for me. Um, yeah. I also knew like, well, once you get the lead, like you're not going to give it up. I mean, you just can't, uh, you can't give it up. It's hard to actually pass somebody. Yeah. So I vaguely um, remember that race on TV, watching you win that. Um, that's that funny. Fun. That was fun. Yeah, Kip Kano went out way too hard. And then uh, I just made sure I got the lead before the last lap um, over Brian Dalpiaz. And and that was it. Just kick hard. Um, but yeah. that, was, that was fun. Yeah, that so was what, what, what was the transition? I want to just quickly get into college. Um, what was the transition like? What was the difference between high school and college for you in terms of training, approach? philosophy and and how was that transition was it difficult or was it how did it go um you know i i felt like actually my transition was pretty pretty good you know looking back on it i felt like the training was was fairly similar sure we added more volume um and yes we were preparing for you know a 10k race rather than a 5k so you know some of the the workouts got longer, the long runs got longer. Um, again, I stepped onto a team that had a lot of nice leadership, um, you know, good caliber uh, of competitors and teammates and, you know, coach. Uh, we had like, you know, the winning kind of attitude. We wanted to be competitive. So that, that was excellent. You know, obviously I'm no longer, the best on the team. And so that was a personal kind of um, challenge, which, which was great. I, I think I looked forward to that um, to be, to be kind of leading uh, in high school was fun, but then to follow, you know, some, some top level yeah. was also really good. Um, I think I, I became more curious with like the why behind the training in, in college. Yeah. Um, and I think we got, we got much more specific behind that. I think Coach Henner did a great job of communicating the why uh, and letting us know the purpose, whereas I never really had considered that before. Um, we talked a lot more about race tactics and strategy, which which I hadn't really exposed myself to, um, which was also really helpful for development. So, yeah, I think, I think my transition was fairly smooth in terms of, like, the training – um, specifically, but I think I learned a whole lot more from my teammates and my coach that that was just natural. Right. I mean, I think it was just part of the next phase of what I needed to learn. Yeah. You said that you looked forward to, um, 
having guys around you <clears throat> who are also good at that level. But how did it impact, as much as you appreciated having more company, but I'm assuming on your team, even though you guys were good, you were kind of doing those intervals by yourself, right? So um, mm. how did that impact your actual training? How did you adapt to that by having guys around you? Did it lead to, um, you know, overtraining? Was that was there a tendency to do that? Because I oftentimes hear that you get these standouts and then it's like they some train better in a group and some you know, finish college and then they start running better when they're back solo again. So I'm always interested to hear how, how people approach it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting because we had some really great talent around like Franklin Sanchez was still around. Um, Alan Webb was around because he was, he was at George Mason at the time. So Um, he was training with you guys or he was just sort of doing workouts near you, but not the exact same thing. Yeah. So Georgetown didn't have a track. Yeah. So we had to go off site to get to other facilities and we would use a high school facility. And so, you know, if, if Alan Webb and Sam Burley are on the track, I mean, they're doing their independent workout, but they're lighting it up. (laughs) I mean, it's like they're going hard. And I think, I think they're setting the example at the professional level of like, here's what, here's what you need to do to be good. You know, that set the tone for, for the, the guys on our team, Chris Lukesic, Rod Kaborsi, um, you know, like that's, that's, that's the example they're following. And then I'm following my senior leaders example. So it's just, it's just setting the tone. Um, yeah. You know, so I think that was, that was what was good is that I didn't know weight training was a component like, like, they implemented it. I didn't know, oh, wow, the stretching is in recovery is a component. The nutrition is a component. The sleep is a, like everything. None, none of that came through in high school. High school is just we ran hard. We worked out. We trained a lot, but nothing else. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you like knew, oh, I need to get protein or something. <laughs> I should just eat some cheese. Yeah. I mean, I, my knowledge was just not there. And that's that's how it was. I mean, yeah. we were you know, this is the time before the Google, like the Google didn't exist and you could, you could barely get results from across the country on Diestat. So you didn't know what best practice was with training. It just wasn't communicated. It wasn't in your face. So yeah, I learned a lot from, from that and just, you know, just being, just being around people who are doing it better than I was. So yeah, geez, you guys, there were a lot of great runners in D.C. at that time. Um, you just rattled off a few of them, and I'm just kind of imagining that time. Um, that's pretty cool. So the so college overall was, was pretty successful. I mean, 2008, you were in the Olympic trials in the 1500. I, I was mm-hmm. playing around with some of your PRs. I think mm-hmm. 1336.5K, that's a 78 VDOT, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure that anything else you've done scores higher. Am I wrong? Do you know? I, I think that's right. I think that is my best. And I find that so ironic. <laughs> that's why I brought it up. Cause like curious. I mean, all I, I'd say I had my, my demons to face for cross country. The 10 K mm-hmm. to me was just, I would unravel like when it came to running a 10 K on a cross country course until 
until my senior year, you know, where I kind of pieced it together. And at the time, I think if you were the top 50 American, you're all American. So I got an all American because of it. And I just felt like I tackled some, some crazy demons, you know, um, in cross country, but I was always more geared towards the mid distances and, and, you know, the thousand or the 1500 or the three K that's like where I felt most comfortable. Um, and it wasn't until after college that I started to train for the 5k and so nothing at Georgetown, no 5k's. I think I ran, I think I ran it twice, you know, it was like, and and never broke 14. I think I was 14, 10 to make the regional meet, but I never ran it in the regional meet. I mean, it was just kind of, no, I wasn't, I was focused mostly on, on the mile or the 1500. So, and, and that was something that I never really unlocked all that well. And I think that, that 1336 came right after winning Penn Relay's Olympic development mile. Um, and I just felt like I was probably in a really good rhythm. I just, I could, I could push hard and focus. It was just a really nice, like call it three weeks where I felt like I was on top of my game and I, and I busted a really nice 5k. And that was 2009 in Palo Alto. You, yeah. had, you graduated then you had graduated already. I did. I did. Were you still training with Henner or who was coaching you at that point? Or were you self-coached? Yep. No, I was, um, I was helping out with the Georgetown team. I was still being coached by Henner. I had my, you know, part-time physical therapy aid job, um, and running. So, so like all through, you know, that, that winter, I might've run a few meets, nothing crazy. And then spring was like my chance to basically be, marketing myself as like a, you know, a a semi elite, you know, sub elite kind of athlete looking for a contract, looking for a sponsorship or club affiliation or whatever that was. Yeah. Uh, So that was kind of my time. And, uh, you know, I had some, I had some good meets strung together that, that spring. And so I didn't realize you won that mile at Penn Relay. So that, so you were running really well right after graduating. I know you were, did you make the semis in the 15, the 2008 trial? So that was right before you ran the 1336. Right. So 2008, that was, that was the Olympic trials year. So I was still running in the Georgetown uniform because there's not, I mean, I was still got, it was a continuation of your outdoor season. Yeah. That was the semifinals in the 1500. Um, So I was running well. And then, um, I went to Europe that year as well to, to jump into um, like, you know, the Belgian circuit basically to see if I can further bolster my resume and try to get a, get a sponsorship or something. So that was basically 2008 summer. Yeah. And then I ran, I think my best in 2009, that next spring. Yeah. Yeah. So then what was the goal at that point? Just like building up to 2012 or, you weren't looking ahead that far. It was just kind of like, let's see if I can get a contract and keep this going. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, 2009, I was. I mean, I think I was, I mean, I was running with Andrew Bumbleo, who, you know, yeah. stood out, uh, you know, multi-time um, All-American. Um, you know, he's gunning for NCAA championships and and the trials himself. So, like, I, you know, we were kind of plugged into that. Um, 
And, you know, to be honest, I think I went to the U.S. championships in the 5K that year, um, and it was a scorcher of a day to run, and I just freaking bombed. I mean, I had a terrible, terrible race. And it just really forced me to reconsider how I want to approach trying to run professionally and and maybe I needed to shake things up and um you know was I getting what I needed out of my environment mostly I mean just being with a lot of the collegiates is nice but I I also didn't have the support that they had you know for the training room and you know just (laughs) even just like sports psychologists or whoever is kind of a part of that that um sports medicine athletic department like that's not I can't just access those people at any time I want. Now I can train with them, but I can't, I can't access those resources. So I just started looking around and figure, figuring out what would be best for me um, after that. And so uh, that, I guess it was 2009, like August of 2009, I said, you know what, we have Matt Centrowitz, who is right up the road uh, at American University. He has a little um, uh, uh, team that he's working with, like local running store kind of sponsorship. And at that time, that was like the right level for me. I didn't have any sort of like shoe sponsor. I mean, I was definitely running with, with New York athletic club and, okay. and getting some, you know, kind of reimbursement, but it wasn't, I needed to keep piecing things together if I was going to be able to, yeah. to run. Um, just, it's just a hard spot to be. So I said, you know what, I can join this team. They can support me a little bit better. Um, uh, learn from some new people and, you know, working with Centrowitz was different. Um, it definitely was, but, but then again, <laughs> I was around people who were also doing what I needed, what I was doing too. Um, there were some guys out of UVA, there were some guys from American. Uh, we were all trying to just see what this post-collegiate running thing was all about. And it was nice. It was, I was, I was back with my peers. Um, and actually at the time too, Julie Cully, um, was there and she had just made the Olympic team in 2008 in the, yeah. in the 5k. So I felt like, um, oh no, she was leading up. Sorry, sorry. She was leading up. She was going to make the Olympic team in 2012. 2012. That's right. Yeah. She was. And we had actually gone to Belgium, and I was with her in in Belgium um, for a little bit, and so I kind of knew her as well. And and uh, you know, she's a great runner, and had Centrowitz as a coach. And I was thinking, well, great. You know, this could actually be the formation of a pretty good group. So. That's that's how I joined. And were you still were you working part time as a physical therapist already at that point? I wasn't a physical therapist. Um, I, I had graduated from Georgetown in two thousand eight with a with a bachelor's in psychology. I had fulfilled some prerequisites for physical therapy school, but I was gotcha. working as an aide, you know, outside yeah. in the hospital. Um, just to support. Was this like because you wanted to pursue it, or was it more just supporting your your athletic career still at that point. No, I, I knew I liked that field and I, and I was learning a lot, a lot of stuff. I had not yet applied to schools. Um, I was considering it. I needed to still get some prerequisites from, I, I honestly, I went to the, like university, the university of DC um, to get some prereqs that I, that I didn't actually get when I was at Georgetown. So I was still doing some of that stuff, preparing a career in physical therapy for when running was done. But um, uh, running was still my main focus in 2009, going into 2010. What um, what's a good central story? What a character he is, huh? What a difference between 
Penner and, and, and Central. Oh, talking about yeah. Seymour. Oh, definitely. I mean, they have different styles for sure. And I think for me, like, Cent- Coach Centrowitz was what I needed at the time. I think just yeah. Um, my, my, so my to be you know to be honest, my first exposure to him, um, he like you know he asks this like seemingly random question. He's like you know, hey, what'd you run in? What'd you run the mile in in middle school? You know, and I'm like, uh, five minutes. Like, I didn't know. Like, five minutes. Like, don't you think you could do that ten times in a row by now? I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I probably, you know, I, I am a better runner. I probably right. should be able to run that better now. He's like, well, go out and do it. We're running the Army 10 mile, and you're going to do it. And it's just like, oh, okay. I mean, you know, I guess yeah. that's good logic, you know. Um, <laughs> But Brian, I kid you not. Guess what I ran at the Army Ten Miler? I ran, I ran forty nine fifty nine, like, oh, like on the nose. That was my first race with that team in, wow. in, in that fall. I guess uh, fall of two thousand nine. My first race with that team. You know, he was like spot on. I'm like, what the heck? You know, this this guy. Like, okay. And, and so I just kind of. I trusted his training a little bit more after that. Right. I just kind of, kind of proved it to myself that this is a good person to follow, even if his style is a little unorthodox, you know? Um, Yeah. He's like the opposite of Jack. I love it. Same with like gags, you know, like just, there's no science, right. It's just all like heart and right. It's more of an art. Yeah. And I love like the relationship side and, um, and yeah. it's just, it, I don't know, it's just, it's a great contrast. I think, you know, you need maybe a little bit of both in an ideal world, but um, I, I love the central stories. I remember I trained with Dan Wilson for a bit. It was a yeah. at UConn. He was, he re, like revolved around the American crew and <laughs> coached him briefly. So I was um, around that for a little bit and just experienced stories and stuff. It's always great to hear those. Yeah, you know, I felt like I was that was what I was missing is like that passion again, you know, kind yeah. of throw caution to the wind. Like it, remember this is a race. Like it, you're running to win. Um forget the analysis of what your 200 split was and how you felt. It's like who cares? <laughs> you're supposed to win. You yeah. know. Um and Keep so great. And, and I had actually I I probably took it a little bit too much. I mean, we trained hard and that was, that was probably the hardest training I, I had done in terms of volume. Um, I was working a lot. I mean, I probably pushed myself too much. I, I had an injury that winter um, and I was coming out in the spring. Uh, here's another maybe story with, with Centro, but I was coming out in the spring thinking, okay, I need, I want to, I want to work towards another 5k appearance at the U S championships in 2010 I need to really work myself back up there. I got to get the qualifying time, all those things, you know. And we went to this um, New Balance Twilight Series uh, up in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. And um, it was great because these guys, you know, New Balance was hosting these these meets basically every weekend or every – yeah, it was every weekend. Um, and it was kind of those last chance qualifiers for these, you know, sub-elite post-collegiates who needed to get some times. So we would fly up day of the race out of Baltimore 
you know, hang out in a hotel, watch some, uh, watch some like soccer, you know, and then yeah. race. And, and I'm trying to race my way back into shape and, um, you know, I'm having some success. Like, I think I just, I won like a Swarthmore 5k or something. And then <laughs> we're going up to these things to try to get a qualifying time. And I, and I won like the 1600, I won the 3k and then sure enough, I like win the 5k in, in, in the third week in a row, get like a, you know, get a, a B standard at least to get entered into the meet. And I go back to Centrowitz and I'm telling them like, Hey, you know, I got the qualifying time. He's like, well, do you think you're ready? I'm like, <laughs> well, I got the time. Like I can go. He's like, you're not going like, really? you know, and he, he just, he's like, you're going to get your butt kicked. Why would you go there to get your butt kicked? Wow. Um, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, you're right. And that was the same. I think that was the same year. Uh, I'm going to maybe get this wrong. And I apologize for, for this, for Chris Zielinski. But just, just so you know, like, yeah, Chris Zielinski, when he, when he ran under 27 minutes in the 10K. Yeah, that was insane. Insane. And he is a peer. Like, we, we graduated high school the same year. You know, he kicked my butt in footlocker cross country. He kicked my butt all, t- all in, in um, at, at NCAA level. And here he goes, I think it was 2000, geez, I think it was 2009, maybe. He had, he had won, you know, uh, no, 2010. He ran, it was, it was definitely 2010. He ran the 10K at Stanford, 2010. Mm-hmm. He ran my 5K PR twice, <laughs> but faster. Right. So here I am in 2010 trying to make this meet. You oh. know, I go to the five, 5K championships with my goal. And yet here's my peer who can run twice as far faster. And Centrowitz telling me, like, you're not going to that meet. You're going to get your butt kicked. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And I think that was kind of the end for me. I was that like, was I'm good. Like, like let Chris go and try to get on the other team. You know, I mean, he, like we're just not on the same level. He's, he would crush me. And I think, you know, I'm ready to go and pursue physical therapy. I'm, I'm good. So that was it. That's fair. I mean, but do you, he was with the Bowerman team, right? Or was it Bowerman then? I forget. Yeah, yeah, it was. He was he was with the Bowerman team. He was running great. Like, do you remember 2009? He was crushing it. They had um, a good group there. And that's where Bumby went too, right? Yeah, and then, yeah, Bumby ended up going there. I don't know if, I think Selinski. And Tegan Camp too. Tegan Camp was there. Yeah, um, but. <laughs> Did you were you did you ever regret not pursuing a group like that or did you? Do you feel like uh, why didn't I, you know, seek out more support or did you feel like you did and that was a, it was a struggle and you just couldn't sort of put yourself in in the right environment? Uh, that's a good question. I don't. I'm not really too sure. I think I never. I I didn't jump to a group because I still I had a I had a girlfriend in D I had my, I had my like PT stuff kind of set up. I was never fully over onto the running. Like, let me just go and do this and just dedicate. Um, but that's never, that was never really me even in college. Like, you know, I held, I held like a, a job in, in our, um, in our co-op, 
you know, like I had, I had circles of friends who were not runners. Um, you know, I was, I, I liked, I liked school a lot too. I mean, I think I just always had these other things and, and yeah. I didn't really know how to just pour myself into one thing like running. So it was not really on my radar to like pick up, move, join a camp somewhere. Um, you know, a group, I, I think I was trying to piece it together. Cause that's just what I felt most comfortable with. I think in one sense, I always think like, it's a shame someone on your level, it's not easier. Like there's not just an easy option that can facilitate and support you like as a full-time athlete, at least for a few years, you know, to mm-hmm. get out at the trials, get to the next level or continue to progress. But at the other, like on the other side, I also see people who struggle, like everything you just mentioned, like if they go all in and they don't have a life outside of it, then that they don't they can't really improve either you know it may be maybe to get to that level like you're you know when you think of galen rump and some of these guys you need to sort of be a machine you know or you can just that everything has to revolve around that you know Mm -hmm. So, so i don't know well and what's interesting too i guess to put more context behind that like the examples we had out of georgetown were like Jesse O'Connell, who went to the trials in four in the 800, um, Rod Kaborsi, uh, Chris Lukesic. And these guys didn't, they didn't necessarily join a group either. Like we didn't really have some sort of feeder system, I guess, if you wanted to call it that, where it was just a real nice, smooth, easy transition. Like, okay, you graduate college, you're just going to get plugged into this group. It's, I mean, we had some connections and their discussions, but it wasn't like just a nice revolving door where you you did have to kind of pave a path. And and I think that was just hard. So the easier thing to do is to hang around campus or, you know, I mean, Lukesic moved out to Colorado to follow Julie Benson. um, And he he was able to get a contract, right? So he was like, contract. Yeah. So next level, I guess the, the groups were catered more towards the marathoners, right? There were like, there were a bunch of post-collegiate groups popping up at them, but it was more road racing, more marathons. So there was really, unless you were like a Lukesic or Alan Webb, where you get a contract and you can get that support and move around where you want to have that flexibility, you were sort of stuck, you know, trying yeah. to piece everything together yourself. I agree with that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so you, you pursue physical therapy, obviously. That's that's what you're doing now. And um, when did the coaching come in? I mean, did, has that always been a natural um, thing for you? That or did it come out of the physical therapy? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you know, going into physical therapy school, um, I really tried hard not to cater to the the running interest. Like, I wanted to kind of step step away from running and. Um, you know, not really, not trying to, not trying to let that be a huge influence on what I, what I wanted out of a, a career in physical therapy. But then, you know, by the time I'm, I'm going through this stuff and maybe into my third year in grad school, I'm like, you know what, actually running is kind of what I love. Um, this is fun. This is good stuff. And that's where I just realized, you know what, I'm never going to be fully separated from running. Um, whether it's in my profession or me like recreationally, or, I mean, I married Elizabeth Malloy, um, who 
she went to the 2012 trials in the in the 5k she was seventh overall she had a new balance contract and then now now she's going to go coach the women's team at stanford i mean like we're just going to be yeah family we just are um (laughs) so you know i think once she got into coaching um i got a lot more interested in coaching too uh and and i liked the idea of being able to work with runners from like uh injury prevention side uh, and understand, you know, a lot of the training philosophy uh, in the coaching world, like exercise physiology, that was interesting because I'm coming at it from more of an academic standpoint, but then also that injury prevention or rehabilitation side. Um, and so I think then you start to put it full spectrum and you're like, okay, early on, you need prevention in, in um, running injuries. Because I like working with people who who are runners. I just don't like working with them when they're injured only (laughs) so how can i how can i get ahead of that in in physical therapy it's like oh maybe i can help advise them on on the training approach so yeah yeah let me get let me get more knowledgeable around like the training approach and just stop them from even coming in to see me like that would be even better um and, and that's where i got like deeper into what philosophies are out there and i think we we had been training with a Jack Daniels approach, but I didn't know it was a Jack Daniels approach. Yeah. Um, I think after having gone through, you know, his like the like the books and the philosophy, I'm like, this just makes a ton of sense. Like he actually is so sensible in how he approaches it and keeps, you know, you want to do the right amount of work for the champ. Yeah. You don't want to do more work than what's necessary. That's that's overtraining. That's going to cause injury. And like then to have the science behind the philosophy just spelled out real clearly. Um, you know, maybe it's a little nerdy, but I, I really appreciate how he spells out um, like the approach in that way. And I was like, man, this is this is how I want to help people is to to get ahead of it give them some training philosophy that's going to help them achieve their goals um, and, and kind of keep them out of the clinic. So that, that was honestly the, the start is me just trying to be, just trying to be a little more proactive. So I don't see injured runners only. Is that, I mean, is it, so as a physical therapist, a big part of your job is also prehab that, or at least that's the way that you've approached it. That's not all therapists potentially but you're really like out front looking at looking at it more as prehab that's more interesting versus just working with you when you're at your worst or you know hurt yeah i mean unfortunately healthcare system is secure it's you know we're reacting to adverse events and so you know in my own like I, i was employed by by a physical therapy company and I was doing a lot of that, you know, um, okay, I see an injured runner come in. And so so some of that was like, you know, I, I can't get away from it. I have to be here for the rehabilitation side. But then I started my own company out there in California where I wanted to get ahead of the curve and try to help people ahead of time. And there's, a, you know, people out in Palo Alto, they're always outside. You know, they're always – they're always yeah. running. And so there's plenty of people that I could kind of go to and say, here's some services for you that are more like what you said. It's kind of the 
prevention and proper training. And um, so I had like a cohort of clients where I could, I could coach them. And that was part of my, my practice was, was to coach them. Um, and it was a nice referral source for when then somebody got injured or they knew somebody who got injured, they could refer them to me as well uh, for, for the rehabilitation and trust that I would know how to get them back to, to running like in a very, in a very structured and, you know, uh, well thought out way, not, not just like, Oh, you know what? sounds like your, you know, your hamstring strain is healed. It's good. Just go run again. You know, I think people needed to connect themselves with a clinician who understood the training and the, what does a workout look like? And yeah, the, the idea of even just running every day and not just being told, well, stop running, you know, that should, that should solve your issue. What, so, um, are you back working with, um, patients in person right now? Or are you doing a lot of telehealth? Right. So, so I'm right now, I'm only employed with this, with a primary care company. Um, so I'm, I'm delivering some PT services through telehealth and that's, that's part of my job, but, uh, but a lot of my job is also um, to be a little more of on the administration level and setting some standards for the company. So I do have two days a week of patient care. Um, and, and so, yes, like right now, I mean, for the last three months, we've transitioned fully to virtual and now we're starting phase back rollout to the clinics, but, but yeah, a lot of it has been virtual. Um, and, and is, have, I've talked to, PT recently, and he was always a proponent of telehealth before the pandemic. And um, it sounds like, I mean, have you been able to thrive or has it been a struggle? Is it, there just too many challenges to overcome? Or do you feel like people are getting a lot of value, um, whether whether yeah. they can meet you in person or not? Like, is it something that you feel like, like will probably continue so, back. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we're not going back. I mean, I think we're going to be able to figure out more and more what the skill set is that's required to be really effective in this space and how to best utilize it. I think, unfortunately, what we've done is try to cram the experience of an in-person session. We just cram that into like a Zoom call, which is that's not how telemedicine should actually work. Telemedicine should be should just be ongoing, continuous conversation. So whether you're going to message me and I message you back, mm. or we use you know data apps to understand things, or maybe we have a virtual visit. It's just it doesn't really matter how we communicate. It's the conversation and the communication that's actually the care delivery, and nothing is closer to that than coaching. I mean, I feel like because I've coached, I have just a whole nother appreciation for how to how to care for somebody in, in physical therapy, because coaching is just a bunch of conversation. It's a bunch of, you know, setting expectations and communicating the plan and tracking adherence to the plan and answering questions as things come up. But I mean, I, I do all my coaching remotely uh, and, and, you know, I can count on one hand, the number of runners I've actually seen run. I mean, it's interesting, right? Like I don't yeah. actually watch my runners run. So yeah. it's like, how can you be a coach? It's like, because I use all these other things. Um, so besides GPS and seeing some of the metrics that get pulled into VDOT or what other 
are you using any any other sorts of data um, when you do these medical um, assessments or the telehealth? Oh yeah, I mean I think that's in, I mean in coaching and in telehealth, I, it's a lot of times you're looking at um, looking at data, but it's for when you're trying to diagnose somebody's condition, it's it's really the conversation that's the more skilled yeah. component. So. You know, you're looking to find out what has changed in their routine, identify kind of the the root source of discomfort, and then kind of outline a plan based on where they are to where they want to be. And you know, running and coaching is a lot of that same that same approach. So um, now I like, I mean, I can't really separate the two. I think in in a clinical setting, in physical therapy, or in coaching, we're using very similar tools. So yeah, you know, I mean if somebody's coming to me and they have a GPS watch and they're connected on Strava and Garmin, fantastic. I'm going to ask, do you use anything else like run scribe or stride or, um, yeah. you know, do you have like subscriptions into some of these, uh, uh, data, you know, data mining and interpretation systems like, uh, like power labs or run or, um, but yeah. there's all these things that are out there that you can actually use to understand, oh yeah, what did change with you? And, you know, what is kind of the, the mm. irritating component and what should we do about it? And how do we use the metrics to know that you're making a good change? And um, that's, been, that's been the, you know, the game changer in the telemedicine space. So you're painting a much bigger picture. It's not, I think so often, you you know, my hamstrings, hurting or my Achilles is hurting, you don't, you don't really need to see them in person and, and, and touch like manually assess the, the Achilles. It's, it's more a conversation and then you're painting a bigger picture. Yeah. Maybe the root causes and you, you can do that remotely. You're saying it's not, you're not so much in the dark, um, you know, when you're meeting them remotely. No, that's right. I mean, ultimately, the hands-on component of physical therapy, it's um, it's a lot of confirmatory stuff where you're you're already painting a clinical picture. Then you put some, then you put your hands on them to say, okay, this this does jive with what I'm thinking. I mean, rarely you're never doing hands-on assessment in isolation to come up with a diagnosis or a plan. It's always in conjunction with a conversation. Um, so. Yeah, it's an, I mean, a lot of education, I think, has to take place to inform the consumers of healthcare that, you know, the real thing that's going to make you better is not ice and stim and massage. And yeah, like, that's that's nice. Like those are those are always going to feel good. But in order to actually get you better, it's going to take other things. And I think once you can kind of empower them with knowledge and tools and that understanding Mm. Uh, and I, I think I try to do this in coaching and, and in healthcare. Like I want to be somebody's guide. Like I don't want to be the hero of the equation. I don't want to be the gatekeeper of all knowledge and all tools. I want to transmit that to you and put it into your hands. So, you know, I'm, I'm Yoda in the situation. Like you're going to be Luke Skywalker. Like, you know, like you have the power, like the force is with you. It's that kind of, let me yeah. show you how to unlock it. Um, and, and that's all I do. So, so, you know, I can't go run a race for somebody, but I can try to give them the tools to, to problem solve. And same thing in rehab. Like I can't, 
like I, I can't physically touch them or, or show them what like, exactly to do with my own hands or body, but I can give them the tools to, to do it for themselves. So um, that, that's kind of been the fun piece. And I think coaching has probably prepared me for this virtual physical therapy practice more than anything else. That's cool. Oh, that's a great perspective. I love it. Um, and then lastly, I, I just want to real quickly, we, you talked about the drone tech and I just want to hear what benefit or why that is better than a t- typical biomechanical analysis or where someone would yeah. look at someone's form. What, do you, what more are you getting out of the drone mm-hmm. uh, versus just a typical analysis? Man, what a great question. And, and uh, it segues off that, you know, that empowerment piece so well. It's so, so maybe, maybe just consider how biomechanical assessments take place traditionally, you know, so a runner comes in, they got their shorts and shoes, and they're going to jump on a treadmill. They're going to have a few cameras set up, maybe get electrodes, you know, kind of uh, a trackers placed on their body and, they get a real nice biomechanical assessment. You know, maybe you're using data like force place sensors or you have some wearable tech. And so you get a lot of data, which is fantastic. Um, but it really cannot tell you whether or not you're at risk of injury. I mean, just biomechanics alone won't be the predictor of that. It's also volume and pace and recovery. And there's so much more. So only looking at biomechanics, I just want to preface this, like we can't necessarily conclude anything from biomechanical assessment mm. alone. It's it's always part of a larger picture. Um, and when somebody's injured, it's even harder to do a biomechanical assessment because they might be in pain when they're running. Right. So now so much has changed. So what I, what I really like is taking somebody out of the sterile clinical environment and watching them run in their own environment. So again, I I don't want to put you on a treadmill for this analysis. If you never run on a treadmill, like you're telling me you're always outside on the track or you're always, you know, running along your street or for, you know, high performance athletes. It's like, it's like um, I have trouble clearing a hurdle. It's like, well, how am I going to do that in the clinic and like watch you and, and you know, and, and give yeah. you a nice perspective on that? So I started to go with the drone because I realized, well, I want to see them in their own environment. I want them running at their own self-selected speed. You know, so if you're doing an 800 meter workout, your form's going to change. If you're in your spikes, maybe something else changes. Yeah. Um, you, you're not going to do that on a treadmill. So I wanted to get into their environment first. And I started to go with all the wearables and the, the tech and try to like piece it together and get like this infield kind of, a, you know, lab. But what I realized was the most powerful piece that I could provide to, to the client was just the film. Just let them see themselves run. And, and what was so cool is, you know, nobody, nobody knows what they look like when they run, like nobody knows what their form looks like. And, but they could tell you, you know, from like a mile away, if that's their buddy, Sarah, or if it's it's (laughs) Jessica, you know, it's like, you know what they look like from so far away. You're like, yep, I knew it. 
I know it. But you couldn't pick your own stride out of out of a crowd. So I think giving them that feedback to say, wow, look at how my form breaks down at the end of that interval. Isn't that interesting? And it's like, yeah, look at how you perform in a fatigue state. You know, you arch your back or your arms swing out or yeah. that helps to inform the weakness to say, here's where we can address that. Here's the cue. And they're already making those adjustments. They're like, okay, you know what I need to do is, you know, keep my chin down or wow. Like I can't, I can't believe um, I'm leaning to the left. Like I didn't, I didn't even know that. Um, yeah. So that feedback was more powerful than any of the data that I could mine. And I felt like from a performance standpoint, it just, it made the most sense. Um, That's cool. So more natural state, more natural environment, but what about, were there any other angles that made a difference for you other than just watching them run by the camera? Um, oh, so yeah, maybe I can say, yeah, the drone, what was cool about the drone is you could just fly it right next to them. Um, yeah. or behind them or in front of them or overhead and right. straight down. And so, you know, I'm getting all this new perspective. Um, mm. You know, it doesn't have to be exactly from the side. It can be a little off and just sure. a good, good um, analysis. So, yeah, I would try to do all of those. I try to do some side to side, both left and right, front and back, and then overhead. And we would run you know, re repeats basically with me flying the drone around a track um, or, or in a street or in a field or wherever and just give them kind of that three-dimensional perspective that made sense. Like they can interpret it with their own eyes and, and make their own judgments on what their form looks like. That's really cool, man. Um, well, listen, we appreciate you sharing your story and uh, we're thankful that you're on the platform it's been great working with you and uh we're excited to to have you and continue to to spread the word about everything you're doing now brian thanks so much for having me on i i love the platform the v.02 system just makes coaching <laughs> easier i mean i i have admitted to you uh in other conversations that um, you know, there was a time where I was coaching on multiple platforms and I'm, I'm so thrilled to just have everybody now on one, um, and nice. it makes it way easier. I love the tech integration with, with Garmin and Strava. I mean, it's just, it, it puts so many more tools at my fingertips and, um, I know that the clients really appreciate it too. I think it's, it's great. And, and I want to say too, thank you so much for running these challenges during these crazy COVID times. Um, <laughs> I think we all kind of really look forward to having something on the calendar, you know, and just being part of like a bigger running community and, you know, having, having a chance to maybe run out and, and perform, you know, some races that we would have never actually tried uh, if we had other things on our calendar. So I love the, the mile or, you know, two mile or 5k and, you know, being able to just post some, some cool things um, that it's just been fun. So I appreciate what you guys are doing over there too. Thanks, man. I, I thank you for saying that you teed me up. I'm going to plug that um, pretty soon we're releasing the ability for you to create and host your own virtual race. And cool. um, so we want to expose that to coaches on the platform. And, and the other cool piece of that is that we just did a virtual race. We hosted the Brooklyn mile, which turned virtual this year, obviously, and they raised $10,000 um, for the COVID relief wow. fund in New York City, just a small 
virtual race of about 700 people. So we're going to expose that too. So if you wanted, you can host your own virtual race, designate a charity, and people can donate as they as they sign up for the race. So we're hopeful that it that it has an impact. And it, New York City just canceled the marathon. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, um, I saw that today. Yeah, so it's I'm not surprised, but I think this fall pretty much all the the big races are going down. So hopefully, um, coaches can kind of step in, leverage this tool, and say, let's keep going, let's keep training, let's keep running, let's keep racing. Mm-hmm. And we've got a cool way to do it. Keep keep you engaged and motivated, and and we're also gonna raise money for some relevant causes of the day. You know, love it. That's that's great. I can't wait for them to come out. Cool, man. All right. Matt, great talking to you. Brian, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you soon. I've been over here.